Seven of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. It's a uh, it's a new year. How's it going? Woo. <laughs> it's <sound> exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's not 2020 anymore, so that's a positive. Yeah, but everything from 2020 is still here, whether people want to realize it or not. Uh, I absolutely. Got, I just got an email from my principal reminding us about things for tomorrow when we go back for our work day, and and she was like, "Don't forget about these COVID guidelines with the school and." Like we're we're on an even tighter lockdown after Christmas break because it's just a matter of time before our little petri dishes that we teach are. Oh yeah, after they visited all their family. Oh, Ugh. it's crazy. But it's but it a, is a new year. It's a new year. There's exciting new things going on. There's lots of exciting things. Before we get to any of our stuff, I want to talk about. I do want to at least bring our guest in uh, because I mean. He's from a long ways away. I think it's the farthest we've had any guest on our podcast. It's not the first international. We have had a couple of Canadian people. This is the first one from across the pond. There you go. That's quite an honor. <laughs> <laughs> so that is Graham Baddison. Uh, I, I'm, I've been friends with you on Facebook for a while, and you, you comment on everything, so I see you talking all the time. I see all your stuff, but yeah. most folks don't know you unless they've listened to the couple of podcasts you have been on. So yeah. a brief overview of who you are, Graham. Well, uh, I'm 36 years old. I was born in the UK, in Liverpool, the Beatles. Um, I've been a reptile nut my whole life. Um, since before I could walk, really, I was, you know, obsessed with things that creep and crawl. And apparently, when my parents used to take us on holiday and stuff, I'd be chasing lizards around. And instead of doing all the normal stuff that normal kids would do, I'd be climbing trees and catching frogs and doing all kinds of stuff like that. I think it was my dad that really sort of instilled the passion for animals in in me, and he'd take us out as kids, and we'd go collecting frog spawn and and uh, catching frogs and really, you know, getting out in nature and looking for things. Um, I think I was seven years old when I, I was allowed my first pet reptile. <laughs> I got a, an oscillated skink, Calchides oscillatus, which is a, like a Greek species from Europe. Hmm. Um, it wasn't the best captive animal to get first. It was a burrowing species that you barely ever saw. So I'd be constantly going into the cage and digging it back out again, probably pissing the thing off, you know. But you know, as as herpsiculture has advanced and as I got older, you know, I learned better ways to keep things, and I've kept pretty much everything until the past, say, ten or twelve years. I've really settled on blood and short tail pythons. Um, something just always attracted me to them. Uh, that real sort of stocky python look and dragon head and all the different colours and patterns, plus all the decent people that are involved in that community. I just figured you really liked the the way they peed a gallon every time they went to the bathroom. No, that's the one thing I don't, I don't like. <laughs> it's like every time you go in there and, and get fresh water... You know, you're changing the water a couple of times a week because they drink a lot, but as soon as you give them a fresh drink, it just comes straight out the other side again. So <laughs> they could be swimming in their own fishy-smelling green soup. It's the one thing that I don't like about the Bloods and Shortails, but they don't crap a lot, but they do pee a lot. So 
which is crazy because like there are species from everything I've heard that do really well in tubs, which yeah. holds the water like a big old bowl. So it's just, yeah. it's got to be so gross. You've got to be on top of that cleaning because otherwise, you know, you run into problems if they're sat. Because because there are species that sort of sit with the head laying down to the ground, you know, in in uh, Southeast Asia, they'd be on the forest floor, you know, on a scent trail or whatnot. They they'll sit close to the ground, and if you've got a dirty cage, they're just sucking all of that dirt up into the lungs or that ammonia from the pee and that's where you can run into respiratory issues oh. I, I was never a short tail although I, I got into snakes and you know and short tails and bloods were always uh, really mean evil bitey snakes and so I was like oh I never want that but then yeah. I, I don't know people like April and all yeah. that and they, she's got all the bloods and, and for the most part her adults are great yeah yeah you know? Every blood I sort of purchased from someone else who's, who'd had it a while were always terrified of it. So that would show in the snake, you know, you wouldn't be able to go near the thing because they'd never handled it. But every one I've raised from a hatchling is just perfectly docile, like a ball python, you know, really, really tame. It's the ones that have, someone else has had beforehand and they've sort of messed it up. <laughs> They're the ones that you've got to work on. Yeah, they always got that, uh, people always thought of them as just, you know, big, angry ball pythons, but they're, I mean, they're nothing like a ball python. No, no. And I think people underestimate how big they can get. Definitely. I mean, they can breed pretty small, but an older animal can be a really, really big, heavy animal. And one, if you've got a bad one, say a, one that's aggressive, picking the thing up is just really a struggle. And it's thrashing around and flopping around or, you know, throwing itself. It can literally like levitate off the off the ground, you know, and sort of strike backwards at your face. If, if you loom oh over them, yeah, if you if you loom over a blood python, it's sort of like a gaboon viper. It's it will come back on you and do you know like a jack in the box backflip sort of thing. You're pretty, really selling. You're really selling me on blood pythons. Yeah, pretty impressive. <laughs> my goodness. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, that's out of my realm. Although, like, I deal with samboas, and they kind of do the same thing. They can strike back. They're sm much smaller. I'm not saying they're the same size, but they are much smaller. But they get yeah. to strike back, and they're very fast. Like, they're surprisingly fast when they want to strike. Yeah, so it's a similar body shape, isn't it? Them short, stocky snakes yeah. need to be able to spring load a lot better than the, uh, the longer, thin snakes. Yeah, they don't flail like a corn snake. You know, they're not no. long. It's a, it's a spring ready to go at any point. That's it. Exactly. All right, before we go any farther, I want to make sure I, I talk about our uh, sponsors. That's actually what I was looking at on your computer. I was, well, he was like, what are you doing? I and I was up. making sure that he had it pulled up. <laughs> but I he did. was ready. I, I got prepared ahead of time. <clears throat> so our first sponsor is Sean Gray at Herpes Reptile Shows. You can find it at uh, herpshow.net. Uh, they're in, let's see, Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, Louisiana, soon to be Alabama, hopefully Tennessee. I feel like I'm missing somewhere. Missouri? Colorado, Missouri. 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 So, uh, next, do you want to go ahead and say the next few shows? Since, no, okay. Oh, I'll do it. Okay. Uh, You're on a roll. Man. I know. First show of the year is going to be January 16th and 17th at Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Uh, I know that Robert will be there. Yes, I will. My first show will be the following week at Longview, Texas, January 23rd, 24th. And then we will have the big show in Conroe on January 30th, 31st. That's two days after my birthday. So come on out and feel free to give me uh, free ball pythons at this point. I need ball pythons. Uh, and, then we, 
And then we have Slidell in February 13th and 14th. So that's uh, Val- you bring your, your Valentine to come if get you, a reptile. If you celebrate Valentine's Day, we actually don't in the South. But if you I'll celebrate it if you buy me a snake. I'm not buying you a ball python. I don't even buy me anything else. <laughs> don't buy me a blood. I don't, I've already decided I don't want that. It's too much urine. Look, I bought you a snake when we got married for a, a wedding gift. That that's, is true. That's about all you're getting out of me. So if that's the next four shows, uh, herpsshow.net. If anybody wants to see their lineup for the year, they've got all of 2021 on there. And I'm willing to bet if I go far enough down, she's probably got part of 2022 on there. Some of them, but they're not opening up for registration yet. So I don't know if they're on there. Gotcha. So, but you got the entire year and it's only January now. So, and in most of these places, they come through twice a year. Conroe, I know it's three times a year. Um, I think Slidell maybe three times a year. I'm not sure. I think, I think like so. Now it's just two times a year because we're not sure what Louisiana is doing with all the. Yeah, we saw. Yeah, we're allowed to have fun in the state. Well, there are, pe- are people having fun, and that's the reason why we can't get those nice people. Things. Reptile people should be better above yeah. all those. <laughs> I just passed a field on the way home with about forty-five people playing flag football. Not a single one of them well, was look, wearing a mask. Well, maybe they were also eating, and as long as you're eating, you can't catch COVID. Right, apparently. I mean, walking to a table, you could definitely catch it, but once you are sitting down eating, you can't catch COVID. <laughs> Moving on. So everyone just needs to keep eating. Oh. Robert, you want to go ahead and introduce our We're next sponsor? We're not getting on this soapbox. Yeah, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> so the other sponsor is, of course, me, Lone Star Reptile Rex. Um, like uh, James said, we'll be at all the Herp shows. I'm signed up for all 28 shows this year, so hopefully we're able to do all 28 of them. Um, I got some new stuff coming out. Uh, I introduced a new 50-tub hatchling rack last week. I think that's uh, awesome. I saw the pictures of that. Yeah, it it, uh, it was a custom build, and I liked it so much, I'm just going to start offering it, because it, it turned out great. He picked it up today and was super happy. And what size tub um, is that using? Those are FP5s. What does that envision? Because I, I never know the conversion. Uh, was 15s? that like the V15, the little pencil box? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so basically it's the same. Um, so it also fit, uh, does it fit just the Freedom Reader? For, or not Freedom Reader, uh. Which ones? Yeah, my brain went blank. Yeah. Those are free, so those are freedom breeder tubs because uh, my other tub supplier ARS does not make that size gotcha. tub yet. So those are freedom breeder, but it'll also hold the FB tens, and um, you could put the V thirty five shorts in it. I tested one out the other day, and it fit fit right in there. So, so it's deep, it's deep enough to fit the V thirty five shorts. Yes, yes. So, um, I have that one. I've got a couple of other. Uh, different rodent racks coming. Um, I've got some some metal racks coming. Uh, some oh, wow. stainless racks. Yeah. Um, I got a bunch of a bunch of different stuff. We're going to come out with the next one. Months. Maybe some caging. Even though I said I wasn't going to do caging, I've got <laughs> I've been talked into it. So uh, I probably won't have caging at the shows just because Todd does such a great job on caging. Yeah. Uh, but I'll have um, I may have them on the website and. You know, at a few shows here and there. I'm going to need some four footers, so I'm going to hit you up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, things are definitely knock on wood. Things are definitely growing. You know, of course, I hate to say it, but as soon as people started getting their stimulus checks, they started buying stuff from me like crazy. <laughs> it has been yeah. an insane week. So anybody so, out there that's gotten your $600, please contact Robert at Lone yeah, Star I'll take it. 
Yeah, I'll trade you. I'll trade religiously every morning, and we have not gotten ours yet. Yeah, I haven't gotten mine yet either, but I've gotten several other people, so I'm I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody needs new tires on his truck, so I would like for that. I know, I do need that. Graham's not used to the government just throwing out free money. I'm guessing (laughs) we got free health (laughs) care. Yeah, Ah, get over that. You, you won't have that when you come over here. So. No, no. Insurance. <laughs> but every now and then you may get a free check thrown in the mail. So there is that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, anybody out there with your uh, stimulus check, feel free to come buy a rack from Robert. Come to one of the reptile shows, pick you up a rack. I know yeah, that I, you've been I busy. About, right? Yeah, I've been very busy. I thought about running a stimulus sale, but I thought that might be kind of tacky. Who so, gives shit? I'd, I'd do yeah. it. I would totally do it. I would I would make everything six hundred dollars or less like for the next week. <laughs> well, most of my stuff is six hundred yeah. or less, but but yeah. I saw a picture of a, a Walmart aisle at Walmart, and it was all big screen TVs that were under six hundred dollars lined up. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Anyways, yes, Herb's Reptile Shows and Lone Star Reptile Rack. Make sure to come to the shows, and you can buy a rack at the shows. Uh, all right. So the next thing I want to talk about, I want to touch on one thing. I know Katie was iffy on me bringing this up, but I'm going to bring it up because I want to. Now, I'm all for, and I, and I like when people leave reviews of our podcast online. I love that. Not that it's going to make me change anything, but I do like to see what their issues are. Well, depending on the issue, yes, we will change it. Well, no, you may. However, I will change this it. issue will not get affected at all. And I need you to understand, before I go into this, I am not bringing this up to protect my wife. She's a grown woman. She can take care of herself. I'm bringing it up to protect my decision to have her on the podcast. Robert can also vouch and agree with me that I said we shouldn't even bring it up, period. Bullshit. I want to call this person out. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, it needs to be addressed. So there was a, there was a one-star review left on our Apple podcast that said, New Year Change. And it said, with all due respect, get rid of the wife and just you and Robert talk about reptiles. And then the dipshit didn't even leave their own name. They put... Two, three, four, six, eight dollar sign parentheses. So, anyways, whoever that is, I would like to politely say, "Fuck you." (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Look, here's the thing: it's a free podcast. You don't have to listen to it. I do, however, the fuck I want to. (laughs) And if you don't think she needs to be on here, then you don't understand the reasoning behind the podcast. The whole reason she's on here is because she is not like me and Robert. She's going to ask questions and think of things that Robert and I definitely won't. Because we've yeah. been in the hobby for too long. As far as I'm concerned, the only fucking person that pays for this podcast is me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so everybody else, if they don't like it, don't have to listen to it. I love it. That's like, that's like, like what, what was the purpose of leaving a one-star review? You're, you're a dick. And I'm all yeah. for it. Like, I'm a dick on a regular basis, but like with a purpose. There's no purpose for that other than you just want to pretend you have power on the internet. And leave yeah. a one-star review yeah. on our free podcast. Yeah. Well, I'm not going anywhere. No. So you're stuck with me. <laughs> so that 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 just I saw that and I was like, and my first thought was, oh, I gotta show Katie at some point. But I showed Robert first. I know. <laughs> and then uh yeah. and then I, and then I said you better show it to her because if she ever finds out about it and you knew about it, you're yeah. gonna be in more trouble. Well, yeah. and then he told me when I was like half asleep. You know, you were awake. You had woken up. <laughs> but I just, again, that whole thing is not because it's my wife and I got upset because someone says I'm the old wife. Again, yeah, she's no, a grown woman. Whatever. <laughs> I'm pissed off that you uh, you challenged my judgment on my own podcast. Fuck you, dude. And not to leave your name. It's just a dip. It's like, like I said, it's a coward move to not leave your name. 
Yes. Whatever. So. Okay, moving on. That's all. I'm done. <laughs> We're moving on. Okay. So now what I really want to get into, and the whole reason I wanted to have Graham on, is again, I've been following Graham on Facebook for a while, and I know uh, anybody that has heard him on podcast about a year ago know that Graham was planning, before, before COVID, uh, was planning on coming over and helping open up a reptile park in Arkansas. Yeah. And that was the original plan. Yeah. But since then, uh, besides COVID, things have changed. Uh, for for the better, I think. And, for, and it's going to be very uh, interesting. Uh, so, Graham, I'll let you go ahead and explain what has changed. Well, the first thing we were going to do was open up um, one facility, 28,000 square foot, in Hot Springs National Park in Arkansas. This is a, like a tourist town. Um, Al Capone used to stay there on his way to Florida and things like that. It's a beautiful place. It's like right in the middle of the forest. And it's basically a strip, which is classed as a city. But over here in the UK, it definitely would be classed as a city. It'd be more like a town. You know, it's it's not that heavily populated. It's really well managed, beautiful place. Now, we were looking for investors for this thing, and we got one. Um, we sort of went back and forth with this investor, and they didn't really share our vision for what we wanted to do. So we dropped the investor, and we waited. And everything That's a ballsy worked. move. That's a ballsy move to go, oh, you have money, but yep. we don't want money. Yeah. Well, I think it was... <laughs> Between me and Dennis McGee, I think we both decided that it would have been selling ourselves short and not what we wanted to build. The guy didn't want to put up enough money for what we had envisioned. And I don't want to half-arse it, you know. So we dropped the investor and we went out to some other investment groups and we landed um, last year, last summer, a massive investment group. And these handle uh, investments for... Jerry Jones, who owns the Dallas Cowboys, um, the Hunts, who own Hunt Ketchup, um, and a bunch of other like Middle Eastern rich people, basically. And, and these want to build a bunch of developments across the states where it's sort of family entertainment, and music concerts, and things like that. So within these, um, within these sort of attractions there's going to be kids play areas uh rock climbing walls artificial ski slopes hotels restaurants bars and our thing which has uh, been renamed as komodo village uh, we've got there's, there's a bunch of locations where these guys are opening stuff up that isn't going to have a komodo village some of them are going to have golf courses and things like that but there's going to be seven locations in the states and i just got word the other day that there's going to be one outside of the states oh wow um yeah and yeah we're going to have seven locations so at the moment it looks like we've got nailed down we've got one in vegas on the strip we've got one in los angeles we've got two in texas uh one in Terrell and one in corpus christi we've got hot springs arkansas we've got oklahoma city and we've got Baton Rouge, Rouge. yeah, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This sounds like the Herp Show venues. I'm just going to throw that out there. No, no. (laughs) A lot of of the cities are the same cities that they do Herp Shows. Yeah. 
That's where the reptile traffic is. <laughs> and so how big of a reptile facility are you all looking at opening up each of these places? These are going to be bigger than the original one. We're looking at 50,000 square foot per facility, which is huge. Wow. So are you looking at mostly an... Uh, Indoor or like more zoos, outdoor, large enclosure type stuff? Well, each one is going to be different, you see. Um, and I think I've sort of explained this to you. Where, say, in like Louisiana location, we're going to have species endemic to Louisiana and sort of work on different breeding programs for each different region where we're going to have a location. Obviously, we're going to have tropical and exotic stuff from around the world. But a lot of these exhibits are going to be sort of semi aquatic, really sort of groundbreaking exhibits which I've been sort of working on designing with some qualified people behind the scenes where I've got some new ideas to bring people up close to crocodiles and crystal clear water and glass tunnels and you know giant water lily pads with anaconda enclosures and things like that with mixed species in them as well so we're going to have a lot of different fish you know, we're going to do like a mangrove type exhibit where we want to keep lizards above ground and a giant mangrove swamp below with uh, mud skippers and archerfish, you know, squirting the bugs off the uh, the mangroves and things like that. Just something to really entertain people and really intrigue people. And we've, we've got a bunch of, uh, we've got applicants already you know, from different zoological facilities. And these are curators. These are big guys from big zoos in the States who want to make the move and sort of share our vision and jump on board with us. I mean, this thing is just sort of, this thing's blown up more than we ever thought possible. Yeah, it's really cool, though. Yeah, I mean, we class ourselves as really lucky. And what, what the big thing is here, guys, is we want to make, Dreams come true for people who want, who are, who are passionate and have this burning desire to have this as their career and their lifestyle. I know what zoological facilities pay out there, AZA ones anyway, and I know what they pay here in the UK, and it's barely enough to live off, and we want better than that. We want the right people to stay. I, I can vouch for it is barely enough to live off of. Yep. I, uh, yeah. I, I spent a few years as a zookeeper, and then... Uh, I realized it's a city's own zoo, and so you can see the pay scale of any city employee. And I was making the same amount yep. as the guy that rode around the back of a garbage truck, throwing garbage in the back of the garbage truck. Isn't that crazy? I was like, I wow. went to school, I have a degree, I like I have <clears throat> experience, yep. and I'm, I mean, this dude's making the same. So yeah, it's same that's here. Crazy. Okay. I mean, you could have a, you've got to have a degree to work in a zoo, and it could be a zoo with like, I don't know, three reptiles in there, and you need a degree to get in there. Plus, they want experience working at another facility. So, how do you get a you know a foot on that ladder? Working a pet yeah. shop or something stupid, you know? I'd, nothing to do with I had to intern for a year yeah. when I was in college. So I'd drive an hour there, just uh, intern for a few hours, then back and do that like two or three times a week, just like so, get enough experience. There you go. That it, it, that's just the dream killer right there. Am I right? You know, people who want to do this, but there's people who, who need to live as well. So it's just. You know, we need better than that. Well, I'm excited. I, I'm I'm ready for 
all this stuff to get over with so y'all can get over here and get and things yeah. start getting done. My whole idea was to build a family. Everyone from each facility knows each other. They can move if they want. They can, you know, trade positions. They can. Everybody knows each other's face and their first names. And I really wanted to. The big, the big picture for me is, I want to be able to give back and sort of fund grants for for college students to to go on and study herpetology at school. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and to donate money to conservation projects and really get behind things that never get enough funding. Because, you know, especially with college students and and people doing PhDs and things like that, you know, they've literally got to beg to get funding for some of these projects. And a lot of, as you know, a lot of these projects just get sort of shoved to one side in favor of the more, I don't know, the the big fauna and things like that. Well, and I like the idea of you want to do conservation, and and I don't I talked to you about it before the whole thing like AZA, um, the problem with AZA and a lot of that is I think is a lot of times hands get tied, whereas there's a lot of people in the private keeping community yep. that can breed some of these things that need to be bred way better and do it on a regular yep. basis. Yeah, and isn't that kind of like a, a, a snobbish sort of way of looking at the private sector where they really get shut out and and disregarded when some of the best herpers i know the best have the culturists are definitely in the private sector and they're doing it just because they got a passion for it you know they spend all of their money on their own animals they're not doing it for a paycheck or anything like that but they're focused on one species or a bunch of species and they do it and figure it out better than everybody else well and i'm excited that it's a it's a reptile based uh park it's not it's not a zoo yeah. Reptiles, it's, it's all reptiles with some aquatics and stuff. Um, there have yeah. been several lately, a lot of uh, some YouTubers and stuff have been opening up these reptile or serpentariums or reptile parks around the country. Yeah, this seems like it's going to be much larger on a larger scale, obviously. Well, you know, anyone who wants to sort of go into that kind of venture, I wish them the best of luck, but really, they're not going to be able to hold a candle to us once we're up and running. Not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> That's and I think a lot of this speaks a lot to where reptiles are in just uh, the public eye. Yeah. You know, I don't know how interesting a reptile park would have been 15, 20 years ago. No, it, it, it would have been more of just a roadside attraction. Whereas this is not really going to be a roadside attraction. This is going to be the main event. It's not yeah. something you drive by yeah. and stop at. This is going to be state of the art with you know, with sort of a, you know enclosures and things where you're going to stop and be able to spend ten or fifteen <clears> minutes just taking it all in, what it does, different things, you know, everything's going to be sort of different every time. Whereas, you know, 15, 20 years ago, a lot of, a lot of these zoo exhibits and snake attractions were just where you could cage walk from one, one glass case to another one. Yeah. Have a little poke in, see the animal probably sat there not doing much, and then walk on to the next one. Say so the only uh, really well, there's, I've been to two somewhat reptile-based places. Uh, the main one, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to. I mean, you've been to America before, right? I've been a couple of times now. Yeah. Have you ever been to the St. Augustine Alligator Farm? No, but um, my boss Dennis used to work with. He was partners with Ross Allen, and Ross Allen <clears throat> worked at St. Augustine as an educator for several years after he closed the Reptile Institute down in Florida. That uh. First time I went there was on our honeymoon, and, and the name's really misleading. People always hear alligator farm, but it's not an alligator farm. It's just what it was called when they opened it. Yeah. But that's a full-on reptile base. They've got some other stuff, but man, it's an amazing place. 
Yeah. And the other place we went to on our honeymoon uh, years ago was one of those like roadsides <laughs> <snake> track <laughs> in South Florida. Uh, to, and it was interesting. Yeah. It's definitely not. I mean, that's one word you could use for it. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know, the place where they do the milking the snakes and all that. Was yeah. more like it. I was like, holy crap. Is the person I just married about to get into this kind of stuff? Because I need to rethink this. <laughs> What's that scene on Kingpin where they, they find him at the Uncle Willie snake farm and a <laughs> snake bites him on the face, Randy Quaid? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, just, I went too far, but you know, the guy working the counter at this place had, you know, eight fingers and two nubs. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just, I'm excited that you're going to be in several different locations and people are going to get to see these animals the way they should be seen, not just in, like you said, not just in a square cage, walking yeah. one square cage to the next square cage. Yeah. Each cage is going to be educational to the point where anyone who looks in there and, and sort of takes in. We're going to have interactive boards and learning and, you know, different sorts of screens where people can learn and it'll play a video for people to learn about the habitat and where this animal is in its ecosystem and things like that. So people are going to be walking away with knowledge and a newfound respect for, for, you know, what we're exhibiting as well. The, the teacher side of me and the Girl Scout leader side of well, me also are you were, very excited well, about all that, that is going to be offered. And then I also ran the education department at our local zoo for seven years. Brilliant. So I'm getting but, very excited about yeah, we're gonna be doing uh, <laughs> We're going to be doing special rates for, for school tours and things like that. We're That's gonna really have, awesome. Yeah, we're going to be doing behind-the-scenes things for people who want to come and see behind-the-scenes. We're going to offer be a keeper for a day sort of experiences where you get to walk around with one of our staff and and just basically learn how, how things operate and things like that. I used to always find it funny when uh, when I was a keeper and we had the, uh, the teenage volunteers and they'd come out. And I, I know in their mind when they signed up for teenage volunteering, it was like, I'm going to go play with a tiger. <laughs> but no, it's like, you're going to sweep this floor and you're going to make these diets and you're going to yeah. clean up poop. That's, that's a zookeeper's job. Yep. And it doesn't sound glamorous to a lot of people, but man, it's it's way more rewarding than most work. Yeah. Uh, I I miss the thing I miss the most is dealing with venomous snakes, which I don't have anymore, and then dealing with crocodilians. I used to love working with crocodilians. Yeah, crocodilians are sort of like a a secret passion of mine. I did some field work in Mexico with Morelet's crocodiles. Must be a decade ago now, and sort of. Definitely somewhere where my heart belongs, and it, you know, if we can get some of the rarer species and and exhibit them, you know, wouldn't it be amazing to have a, a gorilla on show with Chinese alligators? Oh, or well, see, that's my favorite cane. one is Chinese alligators. Yeah, Chinese alligators are fantastic. Black cane is another one. I think they've got some of those at Saint Augustine. I'm not sure, but I think they're like 150 years old. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, they've got every species of crocodilian at St. Augustine. Yeah, I mean, the black came and they've got that really old. I think that they were like the last ones imported into the States, but I'm crossing my fingers that we can cut through some red tape and get those in as well. I uh, My favorite was when I worked at the zoo, we had a little Chinese alligator, and it was, like, it was super calm. You could use it for pretty much every education program. The worst it was going to do was pee on you at some point. Yeah. Um, and they're an awesome looking little alligator. Plus, they only get like five feet, so yeah, yeah. they're great, beautiful. But well, that's also so. What I know it's it's hard with COVID and everything going on. But what is kind of the idea 
date of, I guess, maybe groundbreaking and opening? Well, Baton Rouge is going to be the first one. And they've already started work on uh, leveling that site and raising it because it's going to be basically right on the uh, Mississippi. You need to both plug the fences in and raise it all up. Um, but they've started that already. It's down at the, uh, the Capitol Lake area, Capitol Park. Ooh, I need so, to go visit. Yeah, there's a, there's a casino boat there as well, which is going to be part of sort of, I think it's in partnership with our developers, and they're bringing that onto land now, the Hollywood Casino. They're rebranding it and they're building a Shaquille O'Neal's chicken restaurant and things like that all around this casino boat they're bringing back ashore. So there's going to, it's going to be popping down there. There's going to be plenty of things, you know, to keep people busy and come down and spend the weekend and things like that. Well, that's the thing. I think the whole smart thing about this plan is you're not just opening a reptile park. No. There's all these things opening together, which will all bring in business for each other. Yeah. And that's really great. That's it. Exactly. I mean, it's a, it's a knock-on effect for, for everything in these places as well. It's, you know, it's going to be, it's going to boost the economy. Things are going to be booming down there. There's going to be jobs for people, you know, which is great. You know, everyone benefits. <clears throat> Katie grabbed the mouse and that's just scrolling through my screen of all my stuff. What? <laughs> what Facebook stuff? I've got the Facebook stuff pulled up here. Oh, okay. So I guess that we can move on to our our Facebook polls. That was. Uh, I'm very excited and for all the Komodo Village stuff. I'm I, I'm horrible at waiting. But he's peeking out yeah. over here. Like you can't see his face, but he's like a little kid. It's great. Really <laughs> can, you, can you imagine how I feel stuck over here in the UK? In the <laughs> that's gotta suck. Yeah, I just want to get out to the States and do some snake hunting again. Well, yeah, because we have snakes, like yeah. actual snakes. Oh, I had a great time. <laughs> Last year, I went to uh, to Arlington, and uh, I'm friends with Dave and Tracy Barker, so I met those guys and uh, went out for dinner and stuff, and we went snake hunting. I met Craig Trumbauer, who's, who I've been friends with for many years, but it was nice to finally meet him. And me, myself and Dennis, our boss, we were, and my family actually came along. We went snake hunting every night. We were road cruising, catching cotton miles and things like that. It was perfect. Fun. Robert, don't kill the mouse. You're clicking the mouse. What's going on Jeez. There. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we had, uh, we've been off for two weeks, which is weird. Uh, so we had two two questions up on our Facebook page that I want to go over. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the other one first. I know I'm gotta pull, you gotta give me a second. I got a plan. But I'm excited. Calm, I'm excited for you. Calm down, Katie. Calm down. I mean, you you even texted Robert, so he knows it's important. Well, because Robert knew my Christmas gift before yeah, I knew my did. Christmas gift. That's like messed months up. before you got it. I was very proud of this. So I would like to preface this by saying that James is without a doubt one of the most difficult people to buy for. I'm not. No, 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 I'm no, no, not. So I enjoy the LMF surprise. James, on the other hand, can pick up a box, shake the box, and tell you exactly what you bought him, including the name brand inside the box. And nothing pisses me off more than for him to guess what I have bought for him. So I was very proud of the fact that not only did you not see this coming, but you had no clue what was in the okay, box. Well, because of how well, heavy well hold it was. on. You jumped ahead. <laughs> we'll get back to that. First, let me say what the question was so we will know what the hell we're talking about. 
So the question we originally posted was, what reptile-related gift did you get? So before Christmas, we, we asked what reptile-related gift people wanted for Christmas. Correct. And then we asked what reptile-related gift did people actually get for Christmas and asked for pictures. So I got a couple of reptile-related gifts. The one that Katie's talking about was wrapped in a very large square box. With lots of, of sheets inside of it to add weight. Yes. <laughs> and what was actually in there was an amazing uh, like three-piece expandable snake hook. Made from our buddy uh, Nine Finger Sean. Nice. The man has a real name. He does, but it's much more fun to call him Nine Finger Sean because he has nine fingers. Oh my gosh. But uh, Robert got one of these hooks while we were at the New Orleans show and wanted to show it off to me like a dick, knowing that I didn't. Oh, I walked around the whole show swinging it around in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like an Yours was in the car the whole time. What an asshole. <laughs> But uh, it's an, 100% the reason I bought it, by the way. Yep. Dick. <laughs> we do each other once, and when I come visit, we can go. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an awesome hook. It's made out of a, an expandable ski pole, but like the, the quality and everything is it's it's an amazing hook. Um, I even took it on, on our, we went to my parents to Virginia to visit them for Christmas. I took it with me. There was definitely no herping because when we got there, it was white and covered with snow, but still, I took it with me. It was like, I got it. I'm at least going to take it. But so uh, let me go through some of these gifts that people got for Christmas. And then we'll talk about what maybe some of y'all got. But uh, Lance Kirkman said nada. Sorry, Lance. That's sad. That's I hate that you didn't get anything. But maybe you should be better next time. I don't know. That's all I can imagine. Maybe we got things that weren't reptile related. Who needs things that aren't reptile? I got new dishes. They're not reptile related. They're not reptile related. Oh, I didn't mention that. I also finally got, Katie got me, the third Steve Irwin uh, Funko Pop. I had, this, oh, I had cool. the snake and I had the crocodile. Out of the boxes. I did take them out of the box. I'm not selling them. I don't give a shit how much they're worth later on. But uh, the turtle one, if anybody's ever seen them, there's three of them. There's a snake, a turtle, and a crocodile. The turtle one is the hard one to get. And uh, I finally got it. So now I have all three of them in my reptile room, out of the box, on a shelf. Uh, I don't care because I'm not reselling them because oh, I love Steve Irwin. <laughs> That's cool, man. Uh, Louisa said, uh, Ratliff said, all of mine were reptile related. She got a hoodie that says, I raised tiny dinosaurs. A uh, crested gecko keychain from Emily Burke's site. I haven't, I didn't check, I'll check that out. Emily Burke. Uh, two herping books, uh, field guide, field guide type reptile books. I love field guides. Yeah, me uh, too. Well, that's one reason I fell in love. Like I said before, I fell in love with rubber boas, was the, uh, the, uh, Audubon field guide for reptiles. I had a picture of rubber boa when I was a kid and I loved it. Uh, and then a handmade clay snake figurine for her desk at work. And then she, she got herself three new cultures of isopods. That's that's reptile-ish related. They're and, at reptile shows. And yes, that does count, number one, because you're allowed to buy gifts for yourself. And number two, because that falls into the gumbo part of our podcast. Well, yeah, but we're not putting isopods in our gumbo. No, 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 no. Don't. no, no, no. I mean, they are crustaceans. You could no, no, no. You put you shrimp in there, you could put isopods, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Uh, she says she also has two more reptile-related things coming for her birthday on Tuesday. She has no idea what they are yet. Uh, her husband just said they're reptile-related, so hopefully she can tell us once this podcast comes out what she got. You have some reptile-related items coming for your birthday at the end yeah, of Yeah, because month. like like Lavissa, I, I also got screwed by having a birthday that comes right after Christmas. Uh, which always hated grump. This is your Christmas slash birthday <clears throat> gift. Nope. Screw no. you. I don't play that game. <laughs> Two separate holidays we celebrate. Everybody else is getting big-ass presents in June, and I'm over here with, like, oh, look at my one thing I got in December. <laughs> uh, 
a lot of people got the calendar. Yeah, the Justin Kabilka calendar from Brittany Gobble. I got uh, it. I figured you would. Fucking ball <clears> pythons. <throat> oh, it's a ball python calendar? Yeah, it's just a Kabilka. you're going to need this. I don't need this. You need this. I have enough. I say I have enough all this. If I, you I would cheat, like you know. to buy this calendar for for James no, don't, for his birthday, no, I don't need it. Feel free to reach no, out I don't. to me. We can make this happen. I don't need to look at ball. I definitely don't need to look at twenty thousand dollar ball pythons that I'll never be able to have. <laughs> that is. Uh, I'll pay for shipping. <laughs> our daughter got a Port City Python shirt from our buddy Joe, uh, and a cool turtle necklace. Her grandmother gave her a cool turtle necklace. Oh, there's a picture of me holding my my snake hook, which is amazing. Oh, and I got a shirt, too. I got a Port City Pythons <laughs> shirt for Christmas. I forgot about that. They, they didn't come from Joe. They came from his company. But still counts. I bought them. Still, no, yeah. I'm not saying Joe is simple to me. I don't want people to think that, like, oh, Joe's Yeah, Joe Phelan, you don't get any any uh, any help. It's not from you. This is one of my favorite things that someone posted. This table. This is a really cool table. This so is gorgeous. I, I, I guess it's Chloe Ann Bartram posted this amazing table. And it's got nine <clears throat> squares on it, and each square is like a macro picture of scales from a lizard. Nice. Uh, it's like oh, it looks it's like it's mostly like chameleons, but it's it's an amazing. I don't know how big this table is. It's got to be probably three foot by three foot um, tabletop, and uh, that's, that's a really awesome looking. That's cool. Table. <clears throat> that is neat. And then uh, Maddie McCann got a uh, Swagorski crystal snake necklace. So I know that's expensive, just because I know that crystal is expensive. Mm-hmm. But that's a cool necklace. Uh, then see Victor got honestly it's a bunch of all Python stuff. It's a it bunch of like it's, the it's the calendar. It's Justin Kabilka and a bunch of stickers, and we get it. That stuff is signed. All Python. Yeah, signed autograph stuff. Uh, he also got a shirt from Justin Kabilka. It's a neat shirt. Uh, Roger got Venomous Snakes of the World. Oh, that's the Marco Shea book. I have that's that. a great book. Oh no, I have the the Book of Snakes. I don't have the Venomous Snake books. Yeah, you need that. Add it to your list. I do. It's, it's Marco Shea. It's another one who I love. Who is over in, on your island? So he is. Have you met him? Have I met Mark? Now I've spoken to him on the phone several times. Our buddy Joe did a podcast with him, and it was just I was like, I couldn't believe that you got Marco that Shea on a podcast. Yeah, I saw that one. That was fantastic. Uh, he really um, gets the. Uh, he likes the fire, doesn't he? The passion inside, you know. Well, he's just he's a. Uh, He's an intellectual who can talk to you on a regular level. Yeah, definitely. And so it's, it's sometimes it's very hard to find somebody who knows the amount of stuff he knows and can deliver it to you in a way that anybody can understand. Yeah. That's yeah. how I feel about Travis Weinman when you have him on here. Fuck Travis Weinman. I'm just kidding. Hey. <laughs> he did give us pretzels. He, he gave us pretzels. Katie, did get, I got to meet Katie, him. Katie and Joe got to meet Travis while we were up there. I didn't, I didn't go on the trip to meet him. No. It's rare it's when you Travis. find an interesting geneticist. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Trust me, I mm. had some uh, teachers in college that were geneticists, and they are freaking weird. Yeah. They could talk about that. Travis... Yeah. And I'm not <laughs> saying Travis isn't weird. He's just a different kind of weird. <laughs> uh, oh, and then LaVissa also got this really cool Apple Watch charger that is shaped like a gecko. That's kind of cool. That is neat. I don't have an Apple Watch. I don't so... have an Apple Watch. I'm poor. But I don't have an Apple Watch. It's pretty neat. I'm also too lazy to recharge a watch every night yeah. i can barely do my phone i don't want to do my phone and my watch yeah plus i'd be afraid with that watch on my hand i would just like hit something with my wrist and then just crack the entire screen yeah i hit myself on door frames all the time yeah i know so i've seen it that's why I don't they haven't moved you hit that's yourself on why. door frames in the house i run into door frames all the time <clears throat> uh, robert what'd you get for christmas 
I got a uh, a big surprise. Rachel got with Topher, with Sean's friend that does all of the um all of the flint knives and stuff. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. He had a a partially completed flint knife that he had found somewhere in the hill country in Texas and he finished it out and that's what she gave me. It's actually a working skinning knife made out of flint. Well, that's awesome. And uh, I've got to take it back to him because I get to pick out the handle for it and then she had another friend of mine who does leather work that's going to make me a custom leather sheath for it. So I was really surprised, man. She 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 put in a lot of work on that. She's gonna move to a cabin out in the middle of West Texas and it's the plan. I love it. Stab things with your flint knife. <laughs> nice. You know? <laughs> Gotta eat. You seen me. I like to eat. <clears throat> Did you get any other like reptile related things? Um Besides no. people sending you money for racks? I bought Rachel a camera that I'm gonna use probably more than she will to take pictures of snakes. Oh, how nice of you to buy her a present. Yeah. That's like my dad. My so dad bought one of those. Um, well, my dad bought one of those pellet smokers, and he bought mm-hmm. it as my mom's pellet smoker. And sure as hell, I got my mom. Oh, but he told everyone, make sure to look at Lori's smoker. Well, it's like, I'm like, that is not her smoker. That's like the, kayak. That's like the kayak he just traded towards a Harley Davidson. He bought that mm-hmm. kayak and said it was my mom's kayak. It was never my mom's kayak. He bought that for himself. <laughs> Graham, did you get anything for Christmas? Uh, nothing hurt related, no, but I did get a nice sweater off uh, my fiance, which was much appreciated. There you to go. be honest with you, hurt related stuff, I just tend to buy myself without even asking permission. <laughs> <laughs> every, week, every week there's a new book coming in for the library, and she 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 doesn't even ask anymore. She just knows that I bought myself a new book. <laughs> you found a keeper right there. Yeah. Well, for you at this point, every time you get something new, you're like, oh, this is one more thing I have to pack. Exactly, when I exactly. And I've got so many books now, and I just I don't want to lose any of them. So it's going to be expensive sending them overseas again. Plus, I've got to send animals overseas. <laughs> so are you still looking to move to to Arkansas? Yeah, yeah. I mean, initially, yeah, that's definitely where I want to be based. Um, but, you know, there's nothing to say we, we won't move move around or got a second second property somewhere we'll just have to see how it goes really you've got to adjust to american life i think first it's going, it's going to be a big change you know driving on the wrong side of the road and things like that <laughs> <laughs> i uh i lived in england when, as a kid for only a year uh, oh, really? during my first year of school my okay. dad was in, was in the air force so i went over and lived over there a year with him yeah. I honestly can't even remember where at in England I was. I just know I went to school there for a year and I came back with a weird ass accent. <laughs> it all looks the same anyway, no matter where you are. <laughs> it's, it's all foggy. It's all foggy and wet. Yeah. I remember waking it. up in the morning and not being able to see like across the road. It was so foggy. I do remember that. Yeah. I remember riding double. a decker bus and thinking that's really cool. Yeah. Because we don't have we don't have double decker buses. Yeah, I just I, I love Arkansas for the fact that you can just step out your door and it's just a blast of warm air in your face and you can hear the bugs chirping and you know it, you just know there's reptiles everywhere. So if you get bored, you can go herping. Well, and you're just far enough north, you'll actually get seasons. Yeah, it's like I don't I don't get seasons in Louisiana. We get hot and somewhat cold for about a month. Yeah, yeah. And then we back did, to the body. We did go through Louisiana. We went to like Shreveport area and went to some national <laughs> forest there. Shreveport's not Louisiana. 
No. That's, that's, <laughs> South, that's South Arkansas. Yeah, it's like next. It, 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 like it, it may be maybe located here. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the dirty South. <laughs> I'm in flip flops today, and I was in snow four days ago. In Virginia, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how people. Louisiana's a weird one because everybody's view normally of Louisiana is New Orleans, and I'm like, New Orleans is not Louisiana. New Orleans no. is New Orleans; it's its own world. Yeah, and the rest of the state is on its own. But yeah, I'd say you'll enjoy it. It's definitely gonna be different. I mean, like I told you in that post of the day, we do know not to put beans with our breakfast. So that's <laughs> yeah. You guys have like sugar all over everything for your breakfast, but hey, you know, I'm not complaining. It's good. <laughs> So what, one good what, one good thing that happened yesterday is I got to try Tanya's uh, gumbo and red beans and rice yesterday. Yes. That was good, wasn't it? Oh my god, I'll never miss Lafayette again. I can tell you that. <laughs> Man, they serve food at the Lafayette show. Oh, that, that red beans and rice is killer. Yeah, she and I had an in-depth discussion about the difference in Cajun and Creole and what all she cooks, and uh, there were some things I think I surprised her that I knew what they were that I've asked her to make for me. Yeah. And now I need the Lafayette show to come back around. I can eat some red beans and rice. <laughs> that that would be like I imagine that's gonna be a huge difference. I mean, I guess food is not that different now. There's there's restaurants everywhere of every different culture and every different country almost. But it's gonna be a shock for you food wise, I'd imagine. Your, your, food, your food in the States is just so much better than ours. The beef especially, you get good steak and things like that. We don't get the good steak here. We have but, seasoning. Yeah, everything tastes nice and salty, doesn't it, you know? <laughs> No, nothing's matured here. Everything's sort of straight to the supermarket, and it's, you know, it's not great. I don't think there was one meal I had in the States that I didn't enjoy, you know. We may be unhealthy, but we enjoyed getting to that point. Plus, you can just drive through a Sonic at, like, midnight and pick up a burger, and it's, like, (laughs) exactly nice. (laughs) We hit hit Jack in the Box at, like, 1.30 in the morning leaving Chinois last night. Yeah, you go road cruising and then head back through Jack in the Box or Sonic or whatever and pick something up for the way home. Have you been to a Waffle House yet? I no. Was just thinking that. You have to go to a Waffle House. Our <laughs> nine-year-old is obsessed with Waffle House. They're open 24 hours, and it's greasy diner food, and it's amazing. We don't have not, Nothing's town. open 24 hours here. Not, well, McDonald's, but that's crap. <laughs> Well, once we get over COVID, our Walmarts are open 24 hours. This, that's one thing that's thrown off most of us in America is we're used to being able to go to Walmart at 1 in the morning if we have to. And you guys, can buy, uh, you guys can buy fried chicken in a gas station, too. Yes, we can. I went down the road from the house. and I Pretty good fried I've chicken, gained, usually, too. Yeah, and yeah. I gained 10 pounds. I'll tell you right now, the, the best food in Louisiana is at gas stations. Yeah. Just any <laughs> gas station, pick one. It's the best food in Louisiana. In Texas, it's taco trucks. We have them everywhere. Yeah, I love Mexican food. Mm-hmm. Okay, we got. Okay, back off. Give <laughs> me hungry, guys. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking, I'm like, man, what are we gonna eat for dinner? <laughs> All right. Uh, our second question, because it is a new year, and I wanted to hear other people's. You know, I'm not. I'm not a huge like resolutions person because I feel like you make resolutions and it's very easy to break a resolution like a week into it. Uh, so you don't want to make these huge like. I think life-altering, dramatic resolutions. I make goals. Goals work. I like goals. I like I like goals, and then I also do like a lot of people will say they pick a word for the year. Like my word for twenty twenty-one. Fuck. No. Oh, that's fine. No, sir. I'm gonna have to work it into every conversation. It'll be hard. 
really word. be fucking hard. My word is me because I always put everyone first, and I'm really bad. I always tell you to stop. I know, and so this year that's the plan. So damn it, James, we're breeding corn snakes because I want to. Fuck that. See? <laughs> <laughs> So it says, what is your reptile-related New Year's resolution? <laughs> Something you want to do different or plans you may have. And so we had several. Uh, Brandon, peace. That's a weird way to spell peace. I've never said before. But uh, to finally produce animals for the first time. Also to slow down on feeding for adults. Uh, breeding animals for the first time is super exciting. Absolutely. I remember the first time that happened for me. And I lost my <clears> shit when <throat> I saw a baby animal that I produced. Oh, man. I think the whole neighborhood... My rainbow boas in college, and he I went. He started oh. screaming when and, I made it over there. And but the, the second part of what he said is super important for everyone. Slow down on feeding your adult snakes, people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's so especially like well, what's short tails and uh bloods. It's very easy for people to overfeed them and think because for a long time people thought they should just be these big fat snakes. Yeah, and they are muscular, but they should not be. They don't, they don't move a lot either so you know they don't really get a chance to metabolize all of that fat that they do store so it takes a long time to get the body weight back off of them if, it, if they're carrying too much you know you've got to sort of fire the metabolism back up by giving them shorter more regular you know smaller more regular feedings it's it's tricky with them and it will affect their, their reproduction as well if you get a fat one you're going to get a clutch of slugs or well, nothing at all I think people would benefit more often from seeing the species they work with in the wild yep. versus seeing YouTube videos of that species being taken out of 15 different tubs in a snake room. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, I, I keep boa constrictors, and I remember when I got into them seeing these pictures of giant obese boas. And you don't see it as bad anymore. Um, but people are just like, I've got to get it big. And like that's just not how they look in the wild. They, they, don't, walk, they don't crawl around... You know, looking like a, a sewer tube. Like, it's, it's just not how big it's going to be. Yeah. You see ball pythons getting pulled out at like six months of age and they're 1,200 grams already. And you're like, how the hell did you get that snake that size? Yeah. Do, I, that do does, that every day. I, that does weird me out when I see people like get a female ball python and they're ready to breed it in like two years, two and a half years. I'm like, how yeah. the hell? Like, it may be big enough to breed, but that thing is not ready to breed. Yeah. Mm hmm. I have somebody that buys rats from me that feeds two medium rats a week to his female ball pythons. And I'm like, well, oh, shit. you know, it's your snake. I've warned him what the consequences could be. And he's like, I just want to start breeding. Uh, I'll sell your rats, I guess. That's going to have a fat liver and it's going to die at like eight years old. Yeah, that's what I told him. I even showed him like, you know, the necro necropsy pictures that you can find online of overfed snakes. And he's like, oh, mine won't be like that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you're you're right. So you're gross. you're the only one who has a snake that won't have, have that happen. Uh, yep. Uh, let's see. Oh, Travis Wyman. Oh, this, this is from your trip up there. Said, we actually, our child was very disappointed that I told him no. Was surprised. <laughs> Travis tried to have my wife smuggle a tarantula back home. I mean, I was funny, but I was, I was spending the night with my brother and sister-in-law, not that they would have cared about No, yeah, No, but it, it would have sure, ended up being my tarantula. But it would, I'm I don't want a tarantula. Josephine was very <laughs> upset with me that I told him no. Tough shit, Travis. Keep your tarantula. That's your problem. <laughs> uh, Darren Watson said, uh, I have to be more disciplined when it comes to spot cleaning and water changes. Sometimes it is a couple of days before I clean up poop and urates. 
I also want to upgrade one of my enclosures. Lastly, I would like to add another snake to the collection, another T-negative or normal blood python, as well as a couple of tarantulas. Hey, there you go. Hey, Darren, call up Travis. He's got a tarantula for you. Right there. I've got a blood python for him. There you go. Um, I, I, Darren brings up a good point, and this is something I think a lot of people uh, deal I've with. I've been there. I feel like I feel like everyone in the hobby at any point has been in this spot where and it, and it happens to me. I mean, you come home from work and you go, uh, "I'll clean tomorrow." Yep. Yep. Um, that's that that happens to everybody. I don't think that makes anybody a bad keeper. Now, when you go over there and tomorrow turned into three weeks down the road, yeah, you're probably a bad keeper and you probably shouldn't have those animals. Just and again, that doesn't make them a bad person. Just some people aren't in a position where they can care for another living thing in the way it should be cared for. Yeah, sometimes life gets in the way, you know. Clean my leopard gecko's cage, and I'm thinking about it because we were gone for a Yeah, week. but leopard geckos are easy. They poop yeah, in one corner. Yeah, poops in one spot. It's fabulous. Snakes don't poop in one corner. They're just like, I'm going to poop over here, and then tomorrow I'm going to poop over there. We were gone for the week, so I'm sure i got to clean now. Yeah. yeah. So, I get that, Darren. That's that's a, that's a big one. Urates, I, I would love to see someone come out with something that actually cleans up urates. I don't think it exists. <laughs> uh, you could build buildings out of that stuff. <laughs> it is the strongest substance known to man. Once it, it gets is. on the inside of a PVC cage, your PVC cage now has a white spot in it for life. Yeah. It almost um, burns the plastic, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's amazing. Leaves a rough surface behind, yeah. It's like whenever you can... Somehow you, every now and then you look into finding the urate right after they pass it, and you're like, you can clean it up while it's wet. It's a small victory. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't have this issue with my lizards. So I'm just gonna throw that out there. Yeah, I've got it right behind. You will you. if you get corn snakes, or when you get corn snakes. No, no, no. You're right the first time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So our buddy Tracy said she wants to upgrade a couple of her enclosures, start target training her Argentine boas, uh, meet more reptile friends, and focus her collection more to what she really enjoys keeping. Those are some good ones. Uh. Focusing your collection can really, I, I think, and I found this a couple of years ago when I focused down on Samboas, it can really re-energize you in the hobby when you focused in on one thing. Yeah. I Say really snakes, enjoy I to God. snakes. Shut up. <laughs> you need to focus on something else. But. Uh, uh, I can't give you shit about ball pythons anymore because I got eight of them in my craft room right now. They're in your craft room. That makes them your ball pythons. They're not my ball pythons because you said I couldn't take one to my classroom. No, because they cost so much for you to go have them die in your classroom. They're not going to die in my classroom. <laughs> my corn snake's been in my classroom for months. I mean, your corn snake's from here. I could let it go but outside. I want to breed her, so I want to keep her home. We don't need to breed her. Anyways, <laughs> so uh, I, I do agree. Uh, anybody out there who is – a lot of people fall into that trap of getting into reptiles and then just uh, going crazy and buying whatever. We've talked about it before. Um, I did it early on for sure. I was like, oh, I'll Me take too. this. I'll take that. Yeah, it's it's very easy to do because we like these animals and we're like, I like that one. I like this one. Yeah. Um, if you've gotten to the point, this is for anybody out there, if you've gotten to the point where you find it hard to keep up with well, everything you have, uh, maybe you don't have the same passion you had when you got into it, would I recommend watering down, get, getting rid of uh, a lot of the stuff, especially stuff that may be more time-consuming, things that you aren't truly passionate about. Find that one or two things you're passionate about and really Go after that. Get a couple of nice animals. So, like for me with Sambo's, go find some really nice morphs that you like. Things that uh, really get you excited. 
and that will really re-energize you. I know, like, uh, Graham, you really got into Bloods and Short Tales. You said yeah. you had a large, diverse collection, and now you have focused yours. And that really, had, I'm imagining, changed your your drive and outlook on your whole collection. I think it makes you, you know, a lot more attentive as a keeper, and you begin to see things when you're working with a number of the same thing, you know. If you just got a pair of this and a pair of that, then, you know, you're not really paying attention and making notes or 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 writing things down and i think as you said you know if you're really passionate about it you're going to want that to stay in your collection so keep the things that you really like and it was something i spoke to kyle phillips about today i said i regret every blood python that i've ever sold so that to me means you know blood pythons are my thing you know if you regret selling every baby that you ever did sell and you wanted to keep them and raise them all, you know, then you really love the species, you know? And, and a lot of people, when you talk about people in the hobby, a lot of them are, when you think about the people that are higher up or are well thought of in the hobby, they have focused their collections. They, yeah. they, they have made what they do the best they can. I mean, you talked about um, Tracy Barker earlier. Yeah. I think she's a... I and mean, she does several different species now. But, I mean, she is really focused in on each one individually Definitely. and makes some of, some of the best uh, of each thing she works with. Yeah. It was, so, it was Tracy, really, that established blood pythons and the morphs in captivity, you know, doing the work that nobody wanted to do with those big, mean, wildcard things that came in as adults and probably bit the crap out of them, you know, for the best part of a decade until they started breeding them and... and producing multiple generations down the line for us hobbyists to be able to go and buy. And, and it, that's really the thing that people forget. You know, when when something becomes established in the hobby, there's usually a, a past history behind it of where it's been difficult to keep, not understood, poorly, you know, thought, you know, it's, its natural history wasn't really understood or, you know, how it does its thing in the wild. And it took someone to figure that out and they've, well, not through trial and error, really. So, a couple, couple things about what you said. One, I, I find that so funny about Tracy being the, the main blood person. She is. I know she is. But, like, if you've ever – you've met her. She's a very small, yeah. kind, kind of quiet woman yeah. when, when you first meet her. She's not someone you think is taking on these big, <laughs> big angry snakes. No. And so, it, it's it's not what people picture when they think of someone in their reptile hobby. Like, if you were to tell just someone who knows nothing about reptiles, you can tell them. Uh, you talk about the reptile hobby. They're going to picture people probably more like the three of us guys, right? Big guys yeah. that, but they're never going to picture Tracy. Yeah, and, and she's so much better at it than any of us. It was funny because Tracy emailed me a couple of weeks ago, and she she's got that beautiful property out in Bernie, Texas, and she's got a bunch of trail cams like set up, you know, like uh, to catch wildlife and stuff going past in a yard or whatever. Well, I can't say it's a yard. It's like this vista she's got behind the ranch out there. And she sent me these pictures of a mountain lion just, you know, walking across the driveway. And I was like, wow. <laughs> just imagine Tracy coming face to face with a mountain lion. <laughs> I just yeah. feel like she's going to smack it on the nose and tell it no. If you keep walking. <laughs> yeah. Just boop it snoot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, and then the second part of what you were talking about, uh, people not knowing the, the history behind them. So I do want to bring up one of the podcasts I heard um, a couple weeks ago. It was the Herpt Culture podcast, and they were talking about ball pythons. And Phil Wolf said that one of the things, and, and I think uh, it was Terry Burwell was on there, and I don't think Terry fully understood the way Phil was explaining it. I think I do. 
Um, but some people get into ball pythons now don't actually know anything about ball pythons. And I, I mean, they, they no. know the picture to keep them at. They know how much to feed them. They know what size cage to put them in. Yeah. But they don't know the history of them. They don't really know where they're from, what they're like, all the issues that came with how many were imported and didn't want to eat. Yep. And, and I think that's a shame uh, to keep an animal and not know the full history of it. Not, not just how to take care of it now, but the full history of it. Uh, and I agree with when I heard Phil talk about that. Is so many people do get into it, and when they buy a ball python now, they're not buying a ball python. They're buying uh, yellow belly, lesser Mojave, blah, blah, blah. Yep. They're not buying a species that has a history. I honestly believe there's ball python keepers out there who don't even know whereabouts in Africa that they come from, but they're, they're breeding them and they're keeping them. I and, guarantee you there are yeah. people who don't know. Yeah. It's crazy. And, it's like they've got this cookie-cutter sort of uh, recipe sort of drawn out for them now, done by captive hobbyists. And, you know, the, 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 the ball python of the wild or the ball python 30 years ago that you would get in and wouldn't eat and would go on self-imposed fasts for six months of the year and occasionally at eat and that would be a big bonus for you it just sit there miserable in a ball because we didn't really know how to keep it i think people you know they they, they don't really have a clue about those days well, i think so many of these ball python breeders uh if they were to breed a clutch now and half of them didn't want to eat they would freak out yeah. whereas you know 25 years ago if half of them didn't eat hey half of them did eat well that's awesome yeah absolutely yeah. Isn't it and I, I think that's i, I think that's a big a big testament to racking working with a lot of species and i know racking gets bashed a lot by people who want to keep things naturalistically and you know not just another box groups and things like that but racking is a massive massive advancement with certain species and their propagation <clears throat> in the hobby it's just a fact i've kept blood pythons in cages and uh, sliding glass cages before and they did terribly compared to how they do in a rack i agree yeah the proof is in the pudding sometimes if your animal's healthy then you'll or unhealthy and it's suffering in its environment then you, it's going to manifest itself really quickly so you get a lot of these sorts of elitist keepers now who say well your snake's breeding it doesn't mean it's happy well it pretty much does mean it's happy what else do you want it to show us you know but it's not smiling, so you don't know. No, no. Until we can talk, they're not going to be able to tell us, you know, explicitly. But, you know, these things aren't getting sick. They look well. They look robust. They're breeding. They're producing perfectly fertile clutches. What else do people need as a, you know, a testament to herpetoculture and to racking and to certain species do well in different different types of caging? Some, pe some species want to be holed up, you know, 90% of their time. And then they got a snake who say, oh, I'll put it in a big cage and it's crawling all the time. Well, that snake's not crawling because it's happy and it's enriched in its environment. That snake's climbing the walls, wanting to find somewhere secure to hold up again. Well, yeah, I saw a video once of uh, blood pythons that catch them out of the wild and they're just digging a hole in the ground. I pulled out like seven of them yep. just out of the hole in the ground, all shoved in there. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like, they seem to be really sort of subterranean, don't they? And it's something that, you know, didn't really come across my mind initially when I was keeping them, but it sort of changed the way I'm I'm thinking about keeping them now. But if I give if I give a, a blood pipe in a big cage in a subterranean section, the big cage section won't be used. <laughs> I know that for a fact. 
Well, it's like Sambo is people always, you know, people that own one Sambo, they want to set up in a 10 or 20 gallon tank and then they want, well, it always buries itself. Well, yeah, that's what they do. So then people will tell you, you shouldn't keep snakes in tubs. No. Sambo is they want to be hidden in nature. <laughs> you put them in a tank and you never see them. That's, there's a reason for that. They yeah. want to be hidden. Any other snake would be like, you, you're cruel. You're covering that snake with a layer of sand and the Sambo is just, that's what it wants, you know? But it always kills me. People are like, I don't want a Sambo. You never really see it. I was like, well, yeah, you do. When you take it out, you see it all the time. It's in your hands. So I'm like, I don't know what you want. Yes, it's not going to be a, a hamster. You're not going to watch it run around in a wheel in front of you. It's like it's mini, do- mini tremors. Yes. That's <laughs> one of my favorite things about them. It's like, oh, man, when you feed a Sambo, they shoot out of the bedding yep. super fast. <laughs> but that, I, I just wish more people, like, like Phil said, I wish more people knew their species went before they got into them, or even after you got into them, go back and look and find stuff and talk to people and, and realize that, especially with ball pythons, they talk about how easy they are to breed. You can breed them in a closet in a shoebox. Yeah. yeah. You can do that now. You couldn't do that 25 years ago. No. So I, I, I agree. I think more people need to learn, learn their animal. So that was one thing. Uh, when I came up talking about focusing your collection, if you're going to focus your collection. That's great. Learn about that species. I learned the whole history of it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Victor, he said he agrees with Lance and Bill Bradley uh, by networking more as well as continuing to improve my enclosures for my animals. A lot of people are improving their enclosures. And I guess that kind of the idea of improving your enclosure is different to each person. Because, you know, the big push now is naturalistic. Yeah. Uh, and I went to someone's, actually went to someone's collection a couple weeks ago, and they had way more. So they could do tons of racks. And every single rack was uh, bioactive. I thought it was really cool, yeah. but it's not for me. I, I, I don't want to do that. I, so all I can think of is, man, that's that's a lot of weight on, on those shelves in the rack. That's all I can think of. Is it necessary? Um, that's that's the question. You know, does it need to be bioactive? Well, why? <laughs> why? Why does it need to be bioactive? Because you're too lazy to go in and clean it? Or... Well, and think about it. Think about, okay, people always want to put emotions on animal on especially reptiles that probably aren't there yep. but think about your dog if your dog's living in your house your house isn't bioactive no nope. I and mean, that's just one big inside cage like yes you let it go out and shit and then it goes back inside <clears throat> and a non-bioactive and it's fine we're fine I, I don't know i just but with that said if you want to do it bioactive for you for how you want to do it have at it so when someone like victor here says he wants to uh improve his enclosures Again, I think that could be different for everybody. It could be they want to go out and buy a Lone Star Reptile rack. They want to buy a new rack instead of that, yep. you know, the I, rack. I, they I, fully, I, I fully encourage that just to um, <laughs> let everybody know. You know, they may have built a melamine rack that is now obviously warping because it got wet. And so yep. they want to upgrade to a new rack or they want to get just a nice, clean PVC cage because I've been there. I was at the make everything yourself and now I'm at the I'm not making a damn thing for myself anymore. I'm going to buy stuff. Uh, it's just how I want it to be. So, uh, and then and then networking, I think, is a big thing. And I think it's much easier to network now, uh, way easier than when I first got into reptiles. Yeah. Um, you know, go go to shows, talk to vendors, talk to people there. Go to uh, carpet fest when they start happening again. Uh, you know, go to uh, Komodo Village when it opens up. Yeah. So, get out there, meet people, say things to people comment on stuff and talk to you know have conversations uh da, 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 da. bill bradley said continuing to update enclosures and working towards all naturalistic and as large as possible per specimen again and if that's the way if that's how you view changing your enclosures needs to go 
more power to you. That's he's got some big lizards too that yeah that takes takes space. I think that's one one big difference when you're talking enclosures like yeah. snakes and lizards. Lizards tend to use all of that space, whatever you give them, you know. Yeah, even even really a bearded dragon. If you give a bearded dragon a big enough enclosure with you know high rock surfaces and yeah. cli- like ledges and stuff, you're gonna see they're gonna use every it's bit of that. A much more behavioral, active animal. For the most part, don't get me wrong. There's some really active snakes out there, but for the most part, lizards are you know running around on those four legs all day. Well, especially things like uh, you know, for me, samboas, or for Robert ball pythons, or for you, ball pythons. We're talking about ambush predators, things that yeah. find a spot and sit and wait. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, Randy said, "Up to your upgrade equipment instead of just buying new animals." That's a huge one. Uh, and that's a trap I think everybody tends to fall into early on. And you say you needed to buy some new equipment and stuff? I always need thermostats. That's what it was. Uh, that was a huge... You know, everybody gets into wanting to buy animals in the beginning and then taking the easy way out on the equipment. Yep. Um, but, you know, maybe don't buy that one $500 snake and then go out and buy a cage and a thermostat instead. Yeah. Um, I love... You know, when I upgraded to my Herbstat thermostats... Uh, I loved it. It was, you know, it's peace of mind also, but, you know, upgrading to cages, upgrading just hooks, tongs, things in your reptile room that you need. I think more people need to focus on some of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Brandon Millichamp said provide larger enclosures with UV lighting, more enrichment, uh, but they can take some time. And so also learn more about species he keeps and learn more about their oncology, which I thought was interesting. Uh, well, cancer is a big issue. A lot of times when snakes uh, die, there is a lot of cancer in snakes. I do know that happens. Yeah. Uh, Lance said, network more. Uh, Ross Deacon said to have a hobby break. I don't know. I don't know if he means get out of the hobby and then come back. I don't think I could do that. No. I couldn't. I, it's, it's too much of me. Like, I couldn't. I, I've, there have been moments in my life where I've thought, oh, I could just get rid of everything. Then, the, then my brain goes, no, you can't. Like, well, what would you do if you didn't have it? Life sucks when you get rid of everything. Definitely. You just want it back again a week later and it's, you know, and it's gone and then you've got to try and rebuild again. It's not worth getting rid of everything. You've got to have something just to keep the wheels turning. Uh, t- t- Todd Autry, who we've had on here before, get into ball pythons and breed them. Yeah, I don't think that's true. <laughs> uh... That Maddie and McCann said finally convert their spare room into a reptile room. The first time I was able to really have a reptile room was it, it does change a lot. Yeah. Okay. And now my reptile room has got like a recliner and a TV, and it's <laughs> I just hang out in it all day long. So I mean, having that space, you know, so many people you talk to, you ask them where the reptiles are, and they're like they're in my bedroom. I'm like, I could not imagine having all of my snakes still in my bedroom. No. Uh, I need that separate area to go to. I have a countdown on when those ball pythons are coming out of my craft room. <laughs> I, have to, I have to get somebody to buy me or uh, make me a new rack for him. Mm-hmm. I think I know a guy. <laughs> yep, he's a, and apparently I'm going to be at the at the herpes show in Conroe. Some girl just asked me on Facebook. <laughs> well, that's a different so, kind of show. That's a funny, funny story, side story. So I made when our daughter was Sean Gray for Halloween. And mm-hmm. so I made the Herps shirt on a long sleeve purple shirt for her to wear. Well, she wanted to wear it for free dress day at school. <laughs> she goes to a school that wears uniforms. And I was like, you know what? Yes. Yes, you can. 
only one teacher stopped her and asked her what her shirt said. And she said, it's the reptile shows that we go to. And her teacher said, oh, okay. And Joe, like, showed her what the shirt said. But I was like, hmm, only one person asked. No, the other ones were thinking it. They saw oh, the shirt sure. and go, let's get it. There's herpes on it. I don't know. <laughs> I used to work at the school, so a lot of them know us. No, they, they still think it's herpes. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, our buddy Dallas Ruiz said enclosure upgrades and new enrichment. Uh, pairings that he has planned. He's planning on pairing his timber rattlesnakes. That'll be cool. Uh, his Kasachi corn snakes, which would be really neat. Those are a cool local snake to me. Uh, carpet pythons, white-sided black rat snakes. He wants to vend more shows, and he wants to take a herp trip out west. Dallas, if you head out west, let me know. I want to go too. Yeah, I have plans to actually go out west. Robert, yep. that's true. Dallas, just stop by, pick me up, and we'll go to Roberts. Yeah, uh, we we need to do it, man. As soon as it warms up, I'm I'm going. I I just I've got to go get into West Texas ish and, and and herp at some point. I live too close. <laughs> To not do it. Take me through. That's a bucket list for me. <laughs> Big Bend, just, Arizona, West Texas, you know, New Mexico. I, to, I would love to see a Western back in a while. Yeah. <laughs> My uh, cousin today messaged me asking if I would come catch some in their barn at his deer lease about an hour west of where we hunt at because they have dozens of them in the barn. I said, sure. Maybe in the spring break when I come out there. I'll bring some people I know, and we'll see if we can get some out of there for you. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll help you. I've got a new snake hook I can use. Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, and then Randy said also upgrade his enclosures and maybe get a bull snake. Ryan, not Randy. Ryan said that. Uh, maybe get a bull snake. Closest I've got to a bull snake is my Louisiana pine snake. Yep. It's bull snake-ish without the hissing at me. So, Have you just got the one Louisiana pine? Yeah, I've got to get a female at some yeah, point. Yeah, definitely. I've got my male, and, and he's awesome, but I do want just a nice big female. Just mm -hmm. the, the whole breeding issue, and probably like it's it's kind of a pain to breed right now with them because of the, how protected they are. Sure, like, I can sell them in state as long as I have a permit, and they don't have to have a permit. Yeah, and if I sell out of state, I have to have a permit, and whoever's right. buying them has to have a permit. Yes, yeah. which is always kills me. Like no one's going out anymore in wild collecting Louisiana pine. They can't find the damn thing. No. Um, and then I was looking over on our, for anybody that doesn't know, we do have the Reptile Gumbo Podcast discussion group. It's our own Facebook group for the podcast. And there were some good ones. Uh, Ryan Goslow posted pictures of him feeding a Komodo dragon at the Chester Zoo, uh, which that's really awesome. I do love Komodo dragons. That's down the road from me, Chester Zoo, my local zoo. Well, he, he fed your local Komodo dragon. Yeah, they got a cool exhibit there for Komodo. Um, oh, I did want to read this. So Scott Borden... Uh, did leave a quote on our on our group that I thought uh, was really good. So I want to read this real quick. It said, being a successful, respected breeder has nothing to do with your social media following, minimal to do with producing visually appealing specimens, and really zero to do with breeding at all. It has everything to do with, first and most importantly, becoming a respected, successful keeper. It requires patience, humility, and self-awareness. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is keeping your animals as healthy as possible. This is our biggest responsibility. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I think a lot of times we tend to think that the, the best keepers in our community are the ones that have the biggest name, <laughs> which is definitely not always true. Yeah. 
as as Graham points out every time he makes a post online about certain people in Florida. Oh my god, I can't stand social media at the moment. <laughs> I, I, lo- I love it was like a week there if you just like every day it was um, posted certain two people in Florida well I'm gonna be going after them soon don't worry something's coming <laughs> oh that'll be entertaining yeah I'm working on something I uh yeah I, who was it that oh I think it was the Herb Culture Podcast I think just put out a YouTube channel on like basically handling venomous yes. snakes yes the, the, the boringness of basically handling handling venomous snakes. I'm, I'm very interested to see where that goes. Yeah. yeah. How, how dull and monotonous it should be. You know, the responsible so that, that's, that's going to be an interesting one to watch uh, mm. of what they put on there. You know, it, it obviously, it won't get the hits of a certain person holding their king cobra two inches away from their face. Yeah. But at least it puts out great information on what should be done. Well, it's the quality of your audience over the quantity of your audience, you know. Yes. Uh, oh, Robert Post. Robert, you want to talk about the uh, cool snake post you made? Uh, yeah. So there's a, a, a snake ID group that I'm a member of here in Southeast Texas. And a guy posted a picture of him holding this, this what turns out to be a coral snake. Obviously, <laughs> if you know what they are. And he says, I'm pretty sure this is a king snake. Can someone help me out? Well, it was an, an aberrant coral snake. It didn't have any red. Yeah. So um, he quickly was... The post was quickly deleted, and the admins uh, contacted him. He said he was able to let it go without getting bit. Thank goodness. Uh, very, very, very lucky. Yeah. Well, that's the great thing about coral snakes, luckily, is that they are very reluctant to bite versus, like, picking up a western diamondback rattlesnake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, in this picture, it's, it's the yellow's very yellow, the black's very black, but the red section is, like, faded. There's there's no color there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I, people just need to just leave shit alone. Like, if, and I hate when someone holds, they're holding a snake for identification. I'm like, why are you holding it in the first place? But like, you obviously don't know what it is. Yeah, in the, wrong, in the wrong part of the world, that could get you killed. Look at, uh, yeah, Polinsky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, now it was all, all trusting someone else that they knew what they were doing. No, I just reached into the bag thinking it was a wolf snake, a lycodon, and it was a Ungaris, yeah. a a crepe. Yep. But they're, they're so easy, you know, to, to misinterpret as one or the other. But in tropical regions, that happens. You get those snakes that are mimics and mocks of, of different venomous species. And you just kind of like err on the side of caution first. Don't pick it up until you know. Well, in Central and South America, coral snakes are the you They don't follow the rule. No. That rhyme doesn't work. No. Definitely not. Um. Oh, here's another one Scott Borden posted about uh, one of his snakes. Uh, it had gotten very sick, very ill, took it to the vet, uh, had antibiotics. Um, again, which I think is something that not enough people talk about is the, the negative aspects of the hobby. You know, things getting sick and dying. We, yeah. we tend to, especially on the YouTube, you don't, now some YouTube guys will talk about it, and I will talk about a YouTube video that did this week, but a lot of them don't, you don't know how many things actually die in their collection. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's, it happens. Sometimes it just happens. Even the best keepers, it just happens. Like it's, you can't help it. Um, but he said finally the other day his uh, this tongue, his snake actually tongue flicked for the first time in months, and is showing some slow improvement, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, had her, she had her first meal for the uh, first time in a long time. So that's also the importance of, like I said, of taking your animal to the vet. 
you know, I, I'm not opposed to someone posting in a Facebook group explaining the symptoms their animal has yeah. and asking for help. But there also needs to be plans to take that animal to the vet as well. Yeah. Um, there was a one video this week that Brian Cusco put out about his indigo snake. Um, it had a what looked like an impaction, a very large impaction. I haven't seen if he updated it today. He took it for an x-ray. They couldn't really tell anything. It said They said there was some scarring on the outside of the skin, which hadn't been there before, so he doesn't know what happened. Um, but he got it to a vet, got x-rays, and he's getting taken back to a vet I think today, or whatever today would be in the video, um, to see if they can go any farther. But a lot of people will just sit at home and go, ah, we'll see what happens. Yep. And I'm not going to lie, I've been guilty of that in the past. But, I mean, I'm sitting next to a bow constrictor that, in February or March or whatever, I took for a thousand dollar surgery to remove a lump in her face. You know, some you know, if it you're wasn't, gonna, it wasn't a thousand dollars. Nine hundred and ninety eight dollars, whatever. I mean, once you factor in the gas and the entire day in and the Baton car, Rouge, sitting in the car because we couldn't go anywhere inside because it was right at the beginning oh, of the pandemic. God. That was the worst part of it. Was we went to to LSU to the vet school. So it was a two hour drive. So we drop the snake off, and then we have to spend the next eight hours just driving around and sitting in our car in Baton Rouge. Because we, everything was closed. Yeah. Like, you couldn't eat in any restaurant. Yeah. So and there was no Komodo village to go visit. No. So. Too early. Probably would have been closed <laughs> It would have been closed as well. Yeah. But, uh, yes, yeah, so it's important to get animals to the vet. That's one thing I'm glad, glad of, I think. We didn't start these uh, attractions sooner because we've dodged a massive bullet, really, with COVID coming down yeah. hard, you know. It would have really affected us getting open and started up, you know. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I mean, there's there's a lot of places I know closed down and will never reopen because it's going to be very hard. They couldn't recover from this. The whole world's, like, literally turned on its head, hasn't it? And the ones that will survive will survive, and the other ones... You know, small businesses are absolutely struggling at the moment, here in the UK too. We've got so many restaurants and even big chain restaurants, you know, they're closing down. They're taking their money or not enough to meet their overheads and stuff. And it's funny, all those are all suffering. And, and the one the one area I can tell you didn't suffer from COVID was animal sales. No. No. Well, that, uh, I was talking to Barry Parker the other day, and he said snake sales have never been so busy of VPI. Oh yeah, so I sold through everything early in the year. Yeah. I didn't have any. I have nothing right now. Yeah. And then certain people are selling the crap out of some racks because everybody just has money sitting around. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um. Let's see. Trying to see what else. Oh, Ryan Goslow posted an article about a really cool like Jurassic uh, Euromastics. Oh, cool. Uh, I have a Euromastic, so I'm just thinking of Euromastics living in Jurassic period with dinosaurs. That's kind of awesome. Um, oh, and then Katie, did you read, you read this one about the that Travis posted, right? I did. It had a lot of genetic information in it, so I really didn't understand a whole lot of what I read. I'm going to be real. But I am obsessed with axolotls. I think they are fascinating. I want one. The fact that... The, they are aliens. The, the water part of it scares me, though, because I don't have the time to commit to one. Keeping it cold. Um, so that's why I haven't gotten one yet. But there, it, it's really interesting. It, it basically talks about all the genetic stuff, and European researchers have finally sequenced all of the genomes. Yeah. Um, so there's 32 billion base pairs, which is 10 times larger than the human genome. Wow. And they're able to use all of this for medical research, which is, because me, they're aliens. it's fascinating. 
I've talked about them before. They're they're freaks of nature. Like I said, there was a place where they cut the head off of one, sewed it onto the body of another, and then it had two heads. It wired the new head yep. into the body. That's a weird ass animal. A lot of potential for medical sort of uh, uses there with with those guys. And I know they're widely cultured and, and researched now. Well, that's interesting. But there's a sad one. There's a sad one where there's way more in captivity now than there are in, in the wild. Yeah. There's a bunch of different sorts of related species too, and they're all living in like one different cenote in Mexico, and like there's nothing else around them, so they're all isolated. It's crazy. Oh. That was our two questions for the two weeks we were off. Uh, I, I was weird. I I told Robert before we got on here, I didn't watch a lot of YouTube over the two weeks we were off because I got addicted to watching Netflix. And so I, I didn't watch it. I, I had to get, well, I had to get The Office in because Netflix took The Office You've off. You've watched it like four times. No. No, I've only watched it twice now all the way through straight from beginning to end. But it went off of Netflix on the 31st, unless you're in the UK, and then it's still on Netflix. The Office? Yeah. yeah. The American Our version. Our version, not... Yeah, the UK version was far better. <laughs> eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Although I do like, I do like Ricky Gervais. I was going to say, wait a minute, I have Ricky Gervais. I do like Ricky Gervais. Yeah. But, uh, so I didn't watch a lot, but I did watch uh, Dave Coffin in a new video uh, where he was in Florida visiting Heather, I don't know, that's what her name is, Moy. Mo, I forget what it is, but a fairy tale dragons. Yeah. Um, but they kept all their, all their dragons outside, which was really cool, and these, which you can do in Florida. Um, and but these are like bearded dragons, a high dollar bearded dragons, just living outside in these outdoor pens and doing great. Yeah. Which was a really cool video to see. Um. Oh, one I do want to bring up was primitive predators. So that's one person in Florida, one of these YouTubers that I think is doing. They're doing, I think they're doing venomous stuff correctly. Everything I've ever seen with them doing venomous, it's not like, hey, look at me, hold a rattlesnake. Um, but they also talk about them often because they do crocodilians and have this amazing crocodilian setup down there. But in their newest video, uh, I think they need to go watch it. It says, what's new at the sanctuary? But they talk about there where you can win a chance to go visit uh, their new place, nice. which I would, I would love to do. They've got the, probably the most amazing crocodilian cages I've ever seen. Until we build ours. <laughs> That those things are great with the those panels down all the way down to the ground, so you can still have a natural pond, but it has walls. Yeah, oh, that is awesome. I come from zoos where we have you know concrete pools. Yeah, you know you drain the concrete pool, you fill up the concrete pool. Yeah, they're not the prettiest thing to look at. You've got no. to sort of let people see that underwater side of things as well. Um, and then podcasts. I I kind of listen to some old podcasts in the car rides and things that I had missed for the last couple weeks but i listened to uh searchables reptiles you listened to that one with me katie that was the one i with clint i did i i fell asleep and it was not because of the podcast i just get really tired when he listens to podcasts in the car but i was actually very upset that i fell asleep because i was really enjoying the podcast and listening to clint i i really like clint and i just feel like he's such a down-to-earth kind of guy and i I, just, well, I enjoyed it he's a nerd who likes reptiles well i mean he gets along with us well I like but, <laughs> but I did. I remember that one. And then when I woke up, you were listening to Snakes and the Fat Man. No, I did not listen to Snakes and the Fat Man with you in the car. Cause... <clears throat> what were you listening to when I woke up then? It was another podcast. It was one of the million podcasts that Eric now does on NPR. Oh, okay. Because NPR now has like 25 different podcasts. I feel like I need to eventually meet some of these guys because I fall asleep listening to them all the time you in the Justin. car. You met Justin. And you... <laughs> 
You've met Justin. You've met Phil. Maybe. You met Jacob. Carpet Fest? Yeah. I was multiple bottles of wine in. That's true. I was was sober, so I met everybody. I don't know. I had a great time. But the Searchables Reptiles, it was a very good interview uh, between um, my friend Garrett Hartle and Brian Cusco, and they had Clint from Clint's Reptiles on there. And there's a very interesting interview to hear from Clint's Reptiles. Uh, I did finally listen to the Justin Kabilka Snakes and the Fat Man podcast, uh, which is just a weird one because you don't think of the two of them talking <laughs> yeah you couldn't find two more opposite people than chris and justin yeah uh but it, it works like it's it's like the odd couple if you, were to, if you were to redo the odd couple but for reptile people it'd be the two of them mm-hmm. um and then the one last thing i really want to talk about and i need to start doing it every month because I, I want to bring it up every month but i want to talk about the perfect culture magazine uh the january 20 uh 2021 issue yeah some of the things in there. There were some good uh, Herp Room must-haves. It was a Herp Room must-have list, top five. And and I have most of these. Uh, the first one, there was a temp gun. Yeah. I imagine all of us have a temp gun in our reptile room. Uh, security cameras. I do have a security camera in my reptile room. I don't know about either one of y'all. Graham, do you have one? No. You got to get one. And it's not even very security for me. It's just so, like, when I'm on a trip, I can just go, hey, look. And I can look at my snake room from five states away. Yeah, true. What about you, Robert? I do not, but I just upgraded my whole house to smart lights. So now I have smart lights in my snake room that turn on and off, and I don't have to worry about it. That's cool. Yeah. James just put our daughter's crested gecko light on a timer. Yeah, because she kept forgetting to turn it on. I did. um, I bought a bunch of smart plugs, too. So all of our bearded dragons and stuff are on now. All their heat lamps and their UV are on the smart plug. So it's completely automated now. It's awesome. Now, this oh, yeah. one isn't a smart plug. No, that's just a regular old school timer because all my smart plugs are on my reptile stuff in right. my room. I do have that for my lights. And I I actually turn off the heat now. And so I, I used to just run heat 24-7. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on some of my snakes now, heat turns off at night, um, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, a utility cart was also on this list. When I added a utility cart to my room, that became super helpful. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, in a very small room, maybe it's not the most feasible thing, but man. It's great for leaving your water on and cleaning tubs on the utility cart, turning around, putting it back in the rack. Yeah. I love it. Uh, shop vac was on that list. I haven't had a shop vac in my reptile room in a long time. I uh, I just dump tubs into the trash can and wipe them down. Yeah. We don't really have a use for one. No. I, I can imagine, like, like, when I had carpet, it came in handy. But now that I got a floor that I can sweep, it's not that big of a deal. And then a door sweep. The, uh, the little thing on the bottom of the door is to keep your snakes from getting out of your snake room. Which I agree, that would be very important uh, if I had a door. I, don't actually I have that on mine. <laughs> so, I mean, I could put the door sweep there, but I'm pretty sure they would just crawl right over and out the room. Yeah. So, a door would be helpful. It's on the list. It's on the list for things for the house for 2021. It's not very high on the list, but after the <laughs> summer, you should be getting a door. Oh, uh, also in this issue of Herb Culture Magazine, they talk about Walmas. A really, really good article on Walmas. Uh, they did a book review on In Search of Lost Frogs by Dr. Robin Moore. Mm-hmm. I'm not a frog person, but if you I are, love frogs. It's too much care for me. Like, mm. I really want an Amazon. You want a milk frog? Milk frog. I do like milk frogs. Yeah. That's on my list. Uh, there was a big article about breeding spiders. So if you may want to learn about breeding tarantulas and spiders, that was in there. 
there is one I need to go back and read that I didn't get a chance to read. Uh, Casey Cannon did one on Brettles Python breeding, and it's like a picture. It's 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 definitely aimed at someone like me. It's a picture guide to breeding Brettles Pythons. Mm. Like there's, it has a picture of each thing to look for and explains it. That's an awesome article. Uh, oh, and there was a great review on the Fishbone Perch by Specialty Enclosure Designs, uh, which he does some amazing 3D printed perches, and also he's the one that makes those up. Uh, the portals, the you take a, a Rubbermaid tub and turn it into a sliding glass door yeah. cage, which is a really awesome design. So, everybody go check. It's a free magazine. Go check out. If you're a reptile person, there's not a reason you should you shouldn't be reading the free Herpetoculture magazine. So, but that was it. That was it. I got everything out. Justin does a really good job with that magazine. He's talented. Yes, it, it's it looks so good too. Like it's yeah. it's not it's not just thrown together. Anybody that hadn't read it and looked at it, it's not just thrown together. It's amazing pictures. It's high quality. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it's amazing that he does it all for free. Yeah. Katie, um, do you have anything else you want to add? Um, I had a friend of mine on Facebook who tagged me in a picture. It's actually from something that happened in 2019, the Melbourne Zoo in Australia created a water gem for a snake that was overweight but she she saw an article on one of her science groups that she belongs in and she sent it to me because she thought it was kind of cool yeah like a water treadmill for snakes yeah pretty much um but i just thought that was kind of neat so so robert your customer that buys those two medium rats a week for his ball python (laughs) he may need a water treadmill but it it goes back to what what one of our listeners said about not feeding so frequently yes you're careful to begin with, you won't need to worry about how to get weight off of your snake. Yeah, prevention is better than the cure. Yes. Yes. Well, that reminds me of the one thing you, you talked about in the car on our, because we drove for 12 hours there and 12 hours back, but mm-hmm. you had talked about people that freak out so much about like when their snake doesn't eat. Yeah, so I'm actually part of lots of different groups on Facebook now because since I became a host on here, unbeknownst to our one-star Yeah, fuck gentleman. you, the one-star person. <laughs> I've actually been trying to learn more because I don't know a whole lot. But so I've joined different groups on Facebook and message boards online that have to do with the animals that I'm interested in, which are a lot of the animals James has no interest in. Corn snakes. That's uh, not true. I do like corn snakes. He does like corn snakes. He just doesn't want me to breed them. But mostly lizards and frogs. And yeah. um, <laughs> But I, James just rolled his eyes and made a face at me. Go on with your story. Anyways, but I've noticed recently that people tend to panic at the first sign that their animal refuses food. And I, I don't know if it's because I've been with James for 16 years and because I've been around reptile people for so long. But to me, I don't think you should panic until it's been like two or three weeks that they've refused or food. Months. Or depending on the animal, even longer than that. Yeah. Um, you know, there was someone with a fat tail gecko that said, you know, she's only going to eat crickets. She doesn't want to eat mealworms. Should I worry? And I'm thinking your lizard's eating and it's going to the bathroom like it should and it's shedding like it should and, and everything's okay i just don't i don't understand well i've also never been a person to panic so you also have been having one reptile and it being your only reptile you jumped into to my reptile collection which was already established that's true i can think of only twice in 16 years that i have truly panicked i mean like my stomach hurt panic with reptiles and one was with my frog 
and one was with just that's, that's, that's not a reptile. <laughs> and okay, so that one's not a reptile, but it was still painful. And then the crested gecko, which hid, and we it was it we was all buried. The cage and yeah. I knew that neither one of them had gotten out of their enclosures, and I but couldn't see, find them. But see, here's the thing: those are also two animals that we had never had experience with before. That's true. And so that's where most people are freaking out now. For ones that kid me are the ones that go. I was not able to get my snake's mouse on Monday like I normally do. Will it be okay to feed them on Tuesday? <laughs> yeah. Those are the ones where I'm like, come on, chill out. But I get people freaking out. If it's the, it's their first time, it can, it can be – I mean, obviously, at this point, we know that that freak out is not necessary as long as they're meeting all the other requirements their animal needs, um, especially for, like – like I said, ball python freak out because they're ball pythons eating, not eating. And we've talked about the history before. Earlier in the episode, we talked about people not knowing the history of ball pythons and not knowing that used to be the norm. They just would quit eating. Yeah. Isn't it always the ones who ask those questions? Like, like six months later, they've got their own snake business and logo and things like that all set up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, uh, they jump in and buy, <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, those are the Bill could talk about on Sex and Fat Man. Are well, both of them are talking about people getting into breeding ball pythons. They go out and they buy, you know, ten hundred dollar ball pythons, or they go out and they buy a whole bunch of like one gene adults, and they're like, "I'm going to make tons of money." Yeah. You're like twenty years behind everybody else at this point. Yeah, doing it that way. Unless you're doing something totally different that nobody else is doing, you know, that's a really tough market you're trying to break into. Like having black-eyed blood pythons. Yep. <laughs> I, I do remember that much. I remember you talking about that on podcasts. Yeah, like, that's a gene that I think's got uh, potential. Now, other than the eye cut, that, does that alter pattern? It's a light. Body it's pattern? a lighter snake. For me, it works like like fireball does in, in ball pythons. I think the super form is going to be a leucistic snake. That's what I think, anyway. How far are you from being able to do that? Uh, a year away. I've got male black eyes breeding now. I've got. Uh, a genetic stripe, black eye, possible hep C positive, breeding a striped female hep C positive. So I'm going for super stripe T positive black eyes. How is that move going to be when you have to get everything out? Like, well, I'm assuming you have it's already already planned out for everything. But. Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got snakes to send to the States pretty soon anyway, just to some customers. I've done a small shipment of 10 animals. Um, I've got the paperwork all granted and stuff now, the site stuff, so I'm just waiting for the weather to get a little bit better. Then I'm going to ship to Florida to a friend of mine who's going to ship them out to my customers in the States. And then I'm breeding still this season, and then everything that I have is going to be getting sent out to the States again in another shipment. So it's costly to do, you know, but to get things in the right hands, and I really want to get my Black Eye project over to the States. You know, and there's people who are really interested in it, so it's it's worth taking the time. There's nothing worse than someone who's got something, you know, individual, and they just let sort of let it fall by the wayside without realizing the potential of what you've got. So, I, I kind of came familiar with a lot of the blood python uh, people because April when I had her on the podcast. What is the blood python community like over there? Uh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> There's not many people um, doing it. Most of my blood python friends are over there in the States. The uh, 
a couple of guys over here in the UK have either tried to stab me in the back or screw me or, you know, they they pal up to you and tell you they're going to buy all kinds of different snakes off you and then next minute they're playing strange games with buying from other people. And it, it, it was, there's just been some weird experiences with people. So the block button is my favorite thing on Facebook. And a lot of these people I haven't, I've never spoken to, but I just decided to block them because I've seen some of the scummy things that they've done, you know, and I've got eyes and notice these things. So I block them. And then the next minute, everybody's bashing me on online because I've blocked them. Well, boo hoo. <laughs> I, uh, I was gonna say something and I can put my brain. I hate. I know I'm getting older because my brain does that way more often now. <laughs> well, I had a thought and then it just completely disappears. Oh, the one thing you'll you'll get to enjoy when you come to the states is there's no ridiculous laws on how you can feed your mice to your snakes. No, and you can ship things through FedEx very easily. Yeah. And you don't have to have a courier. Plus, in Arkansas, I can get uh, venomous stuff. <laughs> yes, which I'm really excited about. Working with some arboreal pet vipers and stuff. I definitely think it's going to be a, a big. That's going to be a big change for you. It's just the the reptile culture the way things work here. Your reptile shows are so much better than ours. We got like one, um, which is terrible. It's ninety percent ball pythons, you know, leopard geckos, and occasionally the other, you know, rare stuff. But your tables and stuff are so much better organized. I've only been to the NARBC Arlington, but it was a great show. You know, like each table's got something different on it. Well, if you really want to make, make some money, you need to figure out how to get a bunch of those green Madagascan tree boas that y'all have over there, over here. Yeah. Because well, I hear that y'all have a bunch of greens, and we have a bunch of the mandarins, and I don't like the mandarins. The Cites Appendix 1, aren't they? So, it's yeah. nigh on impossible to, to get them over there. Yeah, it sucks. See, we've got stuff over here in Europe, which is really, really inexpensive. And you guys, you know, it costs top dollar over in the States, but... I suppose it's vice versa on some things as well. You've got things which are quite inexpensive. You know, colubrids and things like that, which would be really expensive here now because the colubrid market died off for so many years in the in Europe and the UK especially. The only thing How common on. How common are corn snakes over there? They're common, but you know, you looking for locality wild type corn snakes, you've got no chance. Everything's, you know, het for something. And it's well, that's here also. Yeah, it's the same with king snakes. You can't find, you know, a true pair of, I don't know, just banded Californian king snakes. They, they're heck for something or some more fat. I find that the colubrid morphs tend to make them uglier than the wild type ones. Some things look good in morphs and some things don't. And I think the king snakes, it's a real shame that it's been diluted down now. You know, where uh, I'd really like to get uh, Trumbauer to send some stuff over there to Europe. We've got you know, yeah. specific locality animals, you know. He knows exactly the heritage on everything. Okatee corn snakes you don't see anymore. See, unfortunately, that's kind of the issue here. Uh, I know Robert's son has been getting into corn snakes lately. Uh, and so you've been paying a little bit more attention to corn snakes, Robert. But mm -hmm. when's the last time you saw a normal corn snake? I don't even know if they exist anymore. Yeah. It's a shame. It really is because... On, every now and then, I'll see someone post on like one of the identification pages a corn snake they found in the wild, and think, "Holy crap! If you had that in captivity, people, everybody would want it." Have you ever? Just, you, know, you know when you when you look at a uh, say a herping video, like one of these NFK herpins or 
yeah. or the guys in Florida herping corn snakes, whenever they find a wild corn snake, that head shape is totally different to what you see in the captive ones. Yes. It's like captivity, you know, over that many generations has just completely changed the way it looks. Not just... Well, it's that many generations and mixing in other rat snake species. Well, with yeah, them. there's that too, but the, the corn snake head in the wild is like a long sort of coffin-shaped head. It's really interesting, like different shaped head and the ones you see in captivity, like these short stubby things. Yeah, they're rounded off. Yeah, yeah. it's because you find like the tech, like Texas rat snakes still tend to just be Texas rat snakes, and their head shape is definitely more like what a wild corn's head is shaped yeah, like. But classic rat snake head, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I, I haven't thought about that. You mentioned that. Yeah, I do. Pick, you picture corn snakes now, and it's this goofy little rounded off head. Yeah. It's not that that normal look of a wild corn, which is a shame because that is such a cool. Their their head is one of the coolest things about them. Yeah. Just the way it looks, the scalation on their heads. Yeah. I'd love to um, go back in time and, and really hair poker tea. You know, I think my boss went, went to ground, he hair poker tea with Carl Carfeld years ago, back in like the 60s. Wow. And uh, Carfeld really took him under his wing. And, you know, they went into Mexico together and things like that, a group of them, you know, hunting for rattlesnakes and things. And I think poker tea being closed now is like a, a great shame, really. Well, there needs to be a, a YouTube channel that is nothing but uh, small, like, 15-minute documentaries on people in the hobby. And everyone that gets into reptiles has to go watch, like, the first, like, five or six of them, just so you know yeah. where it should happen from. Who who it was 40 years ago that actually went and got that corn snake that you now can have yeah. for 10 bucks, you know? Nobody reads anymore, either, which I found really... Yeah, I mean, pet stores now, when I was a kid, growing up and keeping snakes and things, pet stores sold, like, really a bunch of books. They were usually the tropical fish hobbyist books, which were, weren't very good, but they had a section of books where you could, like, read and learn about what you're, you know, buy a book before you go and buy the animal. And now, I don't see books in pet stores anymore. Yeah, it's, that's what I said. It's going to have to be forward to continue on it's got to be in video form. That's why a couple of these people that do some of these YouTube channels do a great job yeah. with with some of that. I think, uh, uh, you know, I love the Dave Coffin when he, well, right now I haven't been doing it because of COVID, but when he travels to where these animals yeah. are from, he shows you what it's like there. Yeah. And then talks about the captive care we give them. Yeah. You know, some of those videos are really cool. That You know, some people are busy watching the videos of just the same drawer being opened on, on a rack showing, yeah. you know, 15 different ball pythons, not showing... The fools. I, I love the videos where it shows someone's reptile room, the way it's set up, all the things they have set up in there to make it easier for the room to work. Like that's the kind of stuff I enjoy. Yeah. But, I don't know. Oh, that, that's all I've got. Robert, you got anything? Uh, I don't. I think we've covered a lot today. Say, Robert's got to get busy making some racks. I've sold like four while we've been doing the show. Nice. Yeah, you and I have to get writing lesson plans for this oh, week. Shit, I do have work tomorrow. Yep. Not more. <laughs> See now, Graham's starting his his time off. See, I've been off for the last two weeks. It's very hard to go back. Yeah, it is. It is. And then Robert just works whenever the hell he wants to. Robert doesn't have a real job. He doesn't do anything anyway. Yeah, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, Graham, it's awesome having you on. Right. I, I was. Yeah, man, definitely. It's been a pleasure, guys. Well, I'm looking forward to this whole Komodo Villa. It's gonna be awesome. Just the just the, the idea. 
of it being in seven different cities and set up across the country. Yeah. And uh, it's such a difference from, you know, a year and a half ago hearing about you coming to Arkansas. Yeah. And as it's, it's grown, you know, exponentially now, and it's above and beyond something I ever dreamed about. But I'm determined to sort of make the best of it as well, you know, get the right people on board and really make it, you know, something that's going to last the test of time. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I'm excited about just getting more people to be around reptiles and not think of them as something scary. Well, I'm excited to uh, drive down to Louisiana and get some sambos too, so. <laughs> you got to come on down, then we'll go to a gas station and get some really good food. Yeah, that's fried right. chicken. And then come to Texas and I'll take you to some great Mexican food. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. <laughs> uh, if people want to talk to you, Graham, where can they get a hold of you? If, if you want people to get a hold of you. <laughs> um, they can send me an inbox through Facebook Messenger, Graham Batterson, or they can send me an email to battyg123 at hotmail.com. I'll be setting up a Komodo Village email address in the near future, but I'll let everybody know when that comes up. I also, I did find your YouTube channel. Yeah, I've got a YouTube channel, Northwest Constrictors UK. Graham Batterson, there's some decent herp readings on there. I need to get back to making some of those. Uh, some herp is reading some books for me, or some chapters from some classic books. Yes, I, I enjoyed that. That was I liked the, the whole series. Yeah. It's also good to see good reptile stuff put out on YouTube. Yeah, there's so much trash, isn't there? <laughs> So let me ask yes. for you. I think I'll start asking everybody this. As far as like YouTube goes, what is your favorite go-to uh, channel to watch? I like NKF Herpin, Noah Fields. Me too, a yeah. lot. Yeah. I like it. Well, I've seen him come to Louisiana. I'm like, God, I need to find those places wherever he went. Because there was one, he came here, and they found just a ton of snakes. Yeah, that, that, that kid's got passion for what he does, and it really shows. And just, just seeing things from different state across the different state lines and the differences and the localities and he's finding mud snakes and things you'd never thought you'd see yourself and you sort of you it makes you excited to get out there and look for that stuff yourself you know. See, that's going to be your problem is actually working when you get here. You're just going to want to go working all the time. No, I'm going to need to do a whistle stop tour of the U.S. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. All right, Robert, who want to get a hold of you? www.lsreptileracks.com or Facebook, uh, Lone Star Reptile Racks, Instagram. Um, yeah, I'm easy to get a hold of. And go ahead and get a hold of them now because those checks are coming and more and more people are contacting them for racks. Yeah, and the more so, I sell, the farther the lead time gets out. Yeah, so go see it. It's, it's lsracks.com, correct? lsreptileracks.com. Reptileracks.com. And then also herpshow.net for uh, Sean Gray and the Herp Shows. Um, for us, it is the Reptile Gumbo Podcast at gmail.com. It's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I need to do more stuff on Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't even have an Instagram, so that's all you. That's me. Uh, Simply Serpents on Facebook or Simply Underscore Serpents on Instagram if you want to talk to me. Uh, that is all I have for this episode. I want to. Uh, you know, as you can say, Happy New Year, everybody. So, Happy New Year to everybody yeah. that's listening. Thank you yeah. for listening. Even Happy New start. Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> Don't try not to sound too excited, Graham. <laughs> Whatever this year holds for everybody. 
<laughs> it's almost midnight where he's at too, James. Graham's like, it's not really a new year. It's just the next day. <laughs> All righty. Well, that is it for us. And talk to y'all next week. Yep. Bye. Bye.